It is official. The way we talk about elections in the United States of America has gone completely, utterly, mind-bogglingly insane. I'm Dr. Nolte, and this is Blind Politics. Hello, podcast listeners, and welcome to a particularly salty episode of Blind Politics with Dr. Nolte. I am Dr. A.J. Nolte, Assistant Professor of Government at Regent University's Robertson School of Government. Please rate and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast provider. Five-star ratings are helpful because they let more people know about this podcast and how much fun it is. And I would like many, many more of them, if possible. So please uh, do that if you can. You can also find us on Facebook, Blind Politics with Dr. Nolte. And you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at the Robertson School of Government's Facebook feeds. As I'm recording this, we are in the aftermath of the President of the United States giving a speech about how democracy is endangered and votes are being suppressed and your rights to serve in a democratic system are being taken away. And the country, of which he is the president, is an autocracy. Now, let's bear a couple of things in mind. This is a president who won the 2020 election, railing against laws that were passed by state legislatures that certified his win in their state. Yes, I'm talking about Georgia, okay? These people who, under extreme pressure from his predecessor, said, nope, this was the popular vote. This is the way it went down. We're not going to do it. We're going to certify. Biden won. These people are the people that this man, who won the presidency, is saying are a threat to democracy, okay? What is going on with everyone about elections right now. I normally try to keep very calm and dispassionate and neutral and objective in this podcast. But guys, I'm I'm pretty salty about this. I'm pretty annoyed. And it's time for everybody to face a hard, bitter truth about our American electoral system. It's fine. It's fine. Our elections are fine. Our elections are generally free. Our elections are generally fair. And the reason that you lost to that clown and you're standing up there looking in the mirror, I can't believe that I lost to this clown is because you were an even bigger clown. Okay. It's not the voters fault. It's not corruption. It's not voter suppression. It's not voter fraud. You lost because the people liked that other clown more than you get over it and move on. Okay. And it's not just Democrats, and it's not just Republicans. The same people who are railing against Donald Trump for refusing to accept that he lost an election by 80,000 votes in a couple of states are perfectly fine with Stacey Abrams pretending that she's governor of Georgia, a race that she lost by 50,000 votes in one state. It's absurd. It's absurd. Okay. So let's take a step back and and just talk about the narratives that are going on on both the Democratic and the Republican side. Why are they are totally banana cakes? And then are there problems? Not really. But 
could we fix things, I guess, to make the election system slightly better? I mean, in theory, yeah. And and just like, let's just also walk through some of the things that people are wanting to do to quote unquote, fix the election. And then I'm going to talk about redistricting, which is another one of those things that just, okay. But anyway, we'll, we'll get there. Okay. First of all, let's talk about what everyone says is happening, which is the death of democracy. Anytime the opposition wins an election, it's the death of democracy. Why? Not because you lost, because yes, I know, I know it's embarrassing. You lost to those people, but yes, you did. You lost to those people. And I'm talking to both sides. Not Both of you should, Democrats, Republicans, you should be embarrassed for losing. I agree. You should be embarrassed for losing to those people. But you did. It happened. Move on. We will start with the Democrats. Okay. By and large, what Democrats are upset about is that there were some emergency measures passed during COVID to make it easier for people to, to vote during a global pandemic, during year one of a global pandemic where people were locked down. Okay. And you know what a lot of those mean old Republican legislatures did? They said, we're going to return things back to the way they were in 2018. Okay. The death of democracy, the restoration of autocracy in the vast majority of these cases, even by the Brennan Center, which is a left-wing organization that is making these allegations, even from what they have said, have recognized most of the laws that quote unquote restrict voting are taking things back to where they were. In 2018. Now, I know 2018 was like 10 years ago in political years, but as I recall, 2018 was one of the single biggest midterm victories the Democratic Party has won in recent memory. So if you want to say 2018 was the year of living under autocratic dictatorship, that's fine, except for the fact that, as I recall, Democrats pretty much won that election, especially in the House, right? So it's clearly was not a big enough issue at the time that it somehow stopped Democrats from retaking the House, winning significant victories, making significant gains in the House. Okay? So that's what Democrats are claiming. And then Republicans are still on about this this whole stolen election thing. Okay? And I want to just say something again about the stolen election. If, in fact, the election was stolen, and they found, you know, thousands, tens of thousands of votes or however many thousand votes they found for Biden. It's the most incompetent steal of an election I've ever heard of. Because, like, why wouldn't you steal a few more House seats? Why wouldn't you steal a few Senate seats? There were a couple of Senate races that were closer than that margin, right? You weren't going to steal a couple of those Senate seats? Like, could have maybe gotten a, a few more. Nope. Just Trump. Republicans gained seats in the House. In some of the states where people are saying that the election was stolen, Republicans gained seats in those states in the House. How does that make any sense? So the Machiavellian Democrats found a plan to steal the presidency, to steal the election for Trump. And they were so good that no one has been able to catch them, except you know, a couple of folks like Mike Liddell and Peter Navarro and, and whoever else. But at the same time, they were so incompetent, they couldn't steal like five or six House seats. It's astronomically easier to steal an election the smaller it is, okay, if you want to steal an election. Why? Because there's fewer votes that you have to change. If you're trying to steal an election for a House of Delegates seat, you change 400 votes, you change the election. We're not, 
We're talking about people who were so Machiavellian and gifted that they stole 80,000 votes or more, and they couldn't, I don't know, flip a couple of House seats to give Nancy Pelosi some padding for her majority so that maybe they could do something? That makes absolutely no sense. None of it makes any sense. Okay. The Republicans are trying to steal the election by restoring things to the way they were in 2018 when Democrats won. And Democrats are trying to steal the election by stealing the presidency for Joe Biden, but they're so incompetent that they didn't really think about the fact that they also needed to steal the House and steal the Senate. That's that's what people are are saying now. It doesn't make any sense. How are they that good and that incompetent at the same time? Here's the reality. Politics is messy. And sometimes you win and sometimes you lose and you just have to move on. But that's not what we're doing, apparently. So let's talk about some of the specifics now of the laws that Republicans are imposing and things that Republicans want to do. That is racism and Jim Crow if you're a Democrat. And then the things that Democrats want to do, which is uh, the destruction of American democracy if you're, if you're a Republican. Okay, so Joe Biden, by the way described last year the Georgia voting bill as worse than Jim Crow. Let's keep in mind that Jim Crow was a systemic segregation of life that intervened in the market, that intervened not only in voting, not only imposing things like poll taxes and literacy tests and other things to try to keep people down, but also intervened to prevent white and black people in the South from having all kinds of normal economic relationships that we would take for granted today. So for this law to be worse than that, it's got to be pretty bad, right? You would think. And what does it do? It, it shortens some early voting hours. It shortens some poll times. It gives some mandates about the way in which some local counties have to conduct elections. The one that people were very upset about is that you can't hand out water within 150 feet of a polling place. If you're 175 feet away, it's fine. You have to stand a little bit further. It's not that you can't have water. You have to go a little bit further to get it. The one thing that was in the initial draft that I'm like, okay, you've got a point. This is sketch was the banning of early voting on Sundays. Souls of the polls, the big thing in black churches. And so, yeah, that was, that was sketchy. That was something that looks like, you know, you're taking aim at, a particular mobilization strategy that's preferred by African-American churches, which is a bastion for your political opponents. But that was controversial. And people brought it up and said, hey, that seems kind of sketchy and and a little bit racist. And you know what the Georgia legislature did? They took it out of the final bill. It's not in the final bill. So they put a provision in and people decided, hey, we don't like that. And they changed it. That's how democracy actually, when people say this is what democracy looks like, that's, that's actually what democracy looks like. Hey, you're trying to do something. We don't like it. Knock it off. And then they knock it off and you change their minds. Great. Okay. States that have more restrictive voting rules than the ones that were imposed by the Georgia bill include New York and Colorado. Last time I checked, both states that Joe Biden won more convincingly than Georgia, which is also a state that he won. Now, do I think that necessarily... Georgia like needed to pass this bill? No. Do I think that the 2020 election in Georgia was was fine? Yes. Do I think that had they not passed this bill, 
as as some historical people on the right were claiming, Republicans would never win another election in Georgia. Nope. But on the other hand, do I think it's you know the reimposition of something that's worse than Jim Crow? No. No. The problem with Jim Crow wasn't that people couldn't have water within 150 feet of the polling place or that even let's just say the issue of, of voter ID, right? That's the one that comes up. Photo, having, having you require photo ID for voting, which by the way, a lot of people that are opposed to that are perfectly fine with requiring proof of vaccination to go to the restaurant. So in New York, New York just passed a law saying that non-citizens are allowed to vote in municipal elections. Now, Republicans are freaking out about this, okay, and saying, you know, this is, this is, they're going to have illegal immigrants voting and, you know, millions of, of them. Well, no, what this is essentially is something that's going to make elections more expensive and more complicated and more difficult in the city of New York, because now they're going to have to print completely different ballots for citizens and non-citizens to vote. Well, how are they going to be able to segregate them out? Well, New York has photo ID requirements. So, but they're going to have to give people different ballots. To some extent, this will not be as big of an issue as people think, because at least for primaries, municipal elections are held, municipal primaries are held on a different day than the federal. But anyway, so so in New York, in New York City, if you're a non-citizen, you have to provide nothing to vote. But you have to be vaccinated and proof of vaccination. Presumably that also, by the way, comes with a photo ID because you can't just show a vax card. You're going to have to show ID for it. In New York, they have this thing called Excelsior Pass. It's like all tied to your phone and all that. So basically you have to show papers to to eat, but not to vote. If I'm a non-citizen living in New York, I'm much more concerned with eating than voting, like eating in a restaurant. I probably came to, to New York as a non-citizen much more interested in eating at their restaurants than voting in municipal elections that the Democrats are going to win anyway. So yeah, there's that. Like, none of this makes any sense. It is honestly very, very perplexing. But so f- photo ID, requiring photo ID to vote. This is, this is people are saying this is as bad as Jim Crow. Well, why? Well, because... Uh, it's preventing people from voting. Is it? Because several, I would say the majority of states that actually have photo ID requirements also allow you to get it for free. I happen to have to have photo ID that's not a driver's license. I've had to get this in a couple of different states. You go down to the DMV, you get your picture taken, you get an ID card for free. Every so often you have to get it renewed. It's not a particularly onerous process any more than going to the DMV, which we require people to do for a driver's license. By the way, photo ID for voting is supported by a majority of African-Americans who actually have been polled on this issue. Crazy town. Absolutely crazy town. And then we have the silly thing that Republicans believe, (laughs) which is that any time the Democrats want to enfranchise more people, right, bring more people in and have higher turnout, that, that... Democrats are just doing this because high turnout means that Democrats win elections. Both Democrats and Republicans kind of believe this, but Republicans tend to support things that will not encourage turnout, let's just put it that way, because they think it's going to help them win elections. Here's the problem. There's no evidence of that 
there's no evidence that Republicans win low turnout elections and Democrats win high turnout elections. As we have discussed at length many, many times on this podcast, the Democrats are becoming increasingly dominated by an elite that is white progressive. Those are high turnout people. The people that they are alienated, that are most likely to be disaffected from the Democratic Party, are more on the low turnout end of things. Everybody in the Republican Party is licking their chops, super excited about trying to bring those people in, right? Because it expands the coalition. High turnout elections are going to be good for you if you do that, right? Low turnout elections might be good for them. We don't know that for sure, but there's certainly no evidence, even with the current coalitions or the, the past coalitions, that high turnout, low turnout makes a huge difference in terms of whether Democrats or Republicans win. And that's certainly not going to be the case if Republicans move in the direction that some of the Trumpism without Trump folks want it to go of becoming sort of a more working class, culturally, culturally conservative party. That is not a low voter turnout strategy. That's a high voter turnout strategy. So like, what are we talking about here? Low, low voter turnout is not how you win elections. It doesn't matter whether it's high voter turnout or low, the way you win elections is by persuading more people to vote for you than to vote for the other person. It's, it's this weird obsession that both Democrats and Republicans have right now of kind of wanting to say that if you lose an election, it's not your fault and that you are somehow validated in losing the election by the fact that those other jerks must have stolen it. And the best thing about that, I guess, from this perspective is it prevents you from looking in the mirror and figuring out what you screwed up and changing your own behavior, right? We have a massive case of blame shifting on both parties because they are embarrassed by the fact that they're losing to the other party. And as I said earlier, justifiably embarrassed. Um, both of these parties should be embarrassed that they sometimes lose to the other because they're both really bad at politics. But that is also how things happen. Let me talk about a couple of other issues. I I want to go back to the Biden speech for a second, and this will dovetail into those other issues I want to talk about. January 6th, I just a podcast on it. It's a tragedy. And there are things that could be done that would prevent that from happening again. But this Christmas turkey of a bill the Democrats are proposing that's not going to pass the filibuster because Manchin and Cinema have done pretty much everything except doing handstands while wearing brightly colored flamingo costumes on top of tables in the Senate cloakroom while singing I will not change the filibuster at the top of your lungs in two-part harmony to say that they're not going to change the filibuster, right? This isn't happening. It's not going to happen. You could have an entire January 6th parade complete with floats depicting a giant Donald Trump face eating the Capitol. And it's not going to change them. And it's not going to convince them to blow up the filibuster for this, particularly for this bill, which is basically everything Democrats have ever wanted in terms of messing around with elections, including things like nationalized redistricting reform. Now, We've talked about redistricting in the past. I had Brian Cannon on to talk about the Virginia commission that was proposed, the one that, that passed. Redistricting, by definition, is something the state legislatures control, has always been something the state legislatures controlled. It is their check on the House of Representatives that they essentially draw 
the districts for the House. It is a check of the states. The federal government apportions, right, based on the census, the districts. But the state legislature gets to draw them. This is part of that Madisonian system of checks and balances, okay? I am kind of opposed to taking that power out of the hands of state legislatures. Now, Brian makes a good point when he says you can't have legislators drawing their own districts. So I'm much more sympathetic to the idea of a commission or some kind of judicial input or something like that when we're talking about maps for the legislature themselves. I don't think it's best practice for the legislature to be able to draw its own maps, but I do think it's perfectly fine for them to draw maps of the congressional delegation in their state. And if they want to delegate that power to a commission, they have the, they have the right to delegate it. But the federal government, what you would essentially have here is Congress taking a power that the Constitution and that our system in general has delegated to the states and delegating it to themselves, okay? One of the basic principles that everybody who talks about redistricting reform is that legislators shouldn't get to pick their voters. But if you have a federal takeover of redistricting in the states, that's essentially what's happening. You're going to have Congress essentially picking its voters because they're going to be empowered to set the criteria under which redistricting will happen every 10 years. Because it's not like there's going to be just an independent commission um, in, in every state. Once you've established the precedent that Congress gets to tell the states what to do about redistricting, you've established that precedent and that's going to be the precedent from that point on. And Congress is going to be every 10 years telling the states what criteria they can and can't use. Every commission gets a list of criteria. They don't get to decide their own criteria. They get them from somebody, usually from the legislature. Okay. So in this case, you'd be taking that power and giving it to Congress, which is essentially giving Congress the right to the power to draw its own districts, which they do not have right now. State legislature has that, or they can delegate it to a local commission. I am not opposed to all redistricting commissions in all cases. I actually really like the one that Virginia had. It didn't quite work. Uh, it was the first time they were doing it. And, you know, I, I think the commission itself didn't come to a good resolution. I think the maps that they came out with were actually okay. They double bunked a lot of people. They didn't take incumbent protection into account, but that's what they were told to do. They were told to not do that. And at least on the congressional level, the maps, the, the lines are pretty clean, a lot cleaner than several other states. There are other commissions I don't like as much, and I can get into that in a second. Another thing that the is in the Democrats' bill that they want to do is, is what's called preclearance. This is something that came into circulation due to the Voting Rights Act, 1965. This was a process that was established for states, hear me on this, specifically for states that had a history of segregation that were involved in Jim Crow, that if they were going to do new redistricting maps, they were required to get clearance, pre-clearance of their maps through the Justice Department. Okay? And it was, it was specified states, states that had this particular type of social system in place. What Democrats want to do is essentially create a mechanism whereby if the Department of Justice thinks that a state has been discriminatory, particularly racially discriminatory, in, in any way, shape, or form, 
they can then require preclearance. That's not what preclearance was for. It was recognized at the time that this was a major intervention into the good working order of a state. And so it was only done in specific circumstances to deal with segregation. Okay? There are things that we do under extreme circumstances that we're not willing to do under on a regular basis. COVID should have taught us that by now. For more garden variety forms of discrimination, which were happening at the time, probably much more so then than now, just based on the trajectory of society as a whole, preclearance was not put in place. So the idea that now you're going to make this sort of a nationwide mandate that the Justice Department gets to pick and choose, yeah, that's not a good idea. Our elections are fine. There's not this massive campaign of voter suppression that kept people like Stacey Abrams from being governor. There's not this massive campaign of a voter fraud either that stole the election for Trump. It didn't happen. There's no evidence. There's never been any evidence of any of these claims. Evidence has been demanded. Evidence has not been shown in court. Again, and we go back to 150 Trump judges. They couldn't find one. Could not find one. And on the other hand, the same people that certified Biden's election in Georgia were not going to turn around and pass Jim Crow or worse than Jim Crow, according to that same President Biden. Everybody needs to calm, calm down and take a chill pill about the elections. Our elections are fine. They're generally free and fair. It is generally easy to vote. It is generally hard to cheat. That's the way it's supposed to be. We could probably make some minor tweaks around the edges. Obviously, you could reform the Electoral Count Act. I think photo ID requiring photo ID for voting is perfectly fine. I think you could probably make it easier for people to register to vote, particularly if you had that photo ID. I'm not a big fan of vote by mail or early voting to the extent that they've gone. I, I'm I'm comfortable with some of it, but I think recently in 2021 in Virginia, early voting started in September. That's way too soon. But I don't necessarily think that's way too soon for some sort of reason, like I'm afraid early vote is going to be fraudulent. I just think that probably you should have an opportunity to actually see the whole electoral cycle play out. Things can happen. Things can be revealed about the candidate that you didn't know toward the end. And so you should, I think most people should cast their votes later. But I'm also perfectly fine with us saying election day is a national holiday and making it easier for people to vote on the day of. And I don't necessarily think early voting is something that's a threat to our democracy. It's just something that makes me cranky because why, 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 why do we need people voting a month and a half before the election is going to start? It just seems totally unnecessary. It's called election day for crying out loud. But that's just me being a little bit of a get off my lawn about, about certain things. And I'm also realistic enough to recognize that it's not the end of the world if we have these things. And by the way, I can tell you in that election in 2021, it wasn't just the Democrats that were hustling their people to come out and vote early. Republicans were doing the same thing, which is fine. You know, if you change the rules, people are going to find ways to compete. Take ballot harvesting. Ballot harvesting is a bad practice. This is a practice where you let a third party person pick up a bunch of absentee ballots and mail them in. 
right? It's something that California was was passed as legal, you know, is designed to help nursing homes, I guess, but it has become something that, you know, Democrats were very, very good at. And they won several races in 2018 based on ballot, har- ballot harvesting. And guess what? Several of those seats snapped back in 2020. Is that because the Democrats magically changed their mind and got rid of ballot harvesting? No, it's because the Republicans figured out that they could play the game as well. Okay? There's no such thing as a clever tactic that's going to give you a permanent advantage in politics because your opponent can figure out how to do the exact same thing. I guarantee you this. If Democrats passed their voting bill, whatever, (laughs) I guess it's a voting bill, Republicans would howl about how it would be the last time Republicans ever won an election, and then they would win the next election. It's just, it's how these things work. You cannot manipulate the rules to find a way to give yourself a permanent majority for all time, and neither can your political opponents. Partisan gerrymandering is a problem that people talk about a lot. We had Brian Cannon on, and he talked about that was the, his main impetus for, for the the redistricting commission. And I respect Brian, and I like the commission, and I voted for it. But let's be clear. Partisan gerrymandering also doesn't work very well. Very few of those maps that look like they're going to be this huge decisive advantage for one party for the next decade, very few of them hold up for the whole decade. And by that, I mean deliver that permanent majority in the delegation that you're looking for, unless the state already leans pretty hard one way. So like... Yes, Maryland can be gerrymandered to a point where there's no Republican representatives, and that's unbalanced based on the number of Republicans in the state. But that's because Maryland's already a deep blue state. If you try to pull that nonsense in Virginia or Pennsylvania, it's not going to hold up. And so you can maximize your partisan advantage temporarily in a way that probably will backfire a few cycles from now. People say, oh, well, they've never been as good. They can micro-target, you know, down to the house, down to the neighbor. Yes, but both sides can do that. Both sides can do that. And the coalitions are not permanent. They're shift. So you cannot manipulate your way into a permanent advantage in the political system. It just, it it doesn't work. And And the good news is neither can your political opponents. So stop trying and stop acting like your opponents are doing it all the time. And just knock it off. This whole thing is dumb. This whole conversation that we're having about our elections. Our elections are fine. They're fine. They're some of the best elections in the world. And it's it's this it's symptomatic of this broader issue where everyone is down on America right now. Democrats, Republicans, it doesn't matter. Everybody thinks that we're like literally on the verge of a permanent irrevocable decline. And I don't see anything that makes that the case. And on very few issues is is the declinist narrative more irritating than on elections. I'm not going to say our elections have always been the cleanest, but they're good. They're pretty darn good at this point. And there are probably going to be a few more tweaks and refinements that come in that will make them even better. But the idea of so many people on both sides pre-spinning things so that when they lose, their opposition will think that the election is illegitimate, is it's a bunch of crap. First of all, it's false, and it's dangerous. It plays into this whole idea that the country is illegitimate. People are delegitimizing the country in the name of short-term power. And what's disgraceful is that now... Two presidents of both parties are playing the exact same game on doing this. 
where's the leadership? Where are the people who are going to be like, you know what? I don't care. I don't care what rules you try to put in place. I'm going to beat you. I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to beat you because I'm going to be better at this. I'm going to be better at politics than you and I'm going to win and you're going to lose. It doesn't matter what the rules are. I'm going to play by the rules and I'm going to beat you. Why? Because I'm, I'm a better candidate and I have better ideas, right? Like that's not complicated leadership. That's not like a hard, a hard thing to do. That's what we need and we're not getting it and it's a problem. So I am sure if you're listening to this podcast that there are people in your circles that you agree with that think that the elections are, are all bad. They're terrible. And the other side is just cheating and they're going to cheat and cheat and cheat until they cheat things into the end of democracy. Democracy is not ending. The thing that will end democracy is if we all believe that it's dead. Democracies run on faith. They run on the faith of the people. And undermining that so that you can pretend that you didn't lose an election to a bunch of clowns is not in the best interest of anyone, least of all yourselves. So we need people to knock it off, stop, look in the mirror, and realize that it's your own fault that you lost. It's not because the election was stolen. Figure out what you did wrong. Figure out why people don't like you and do better next time. That's how democracy works. That is what democracy looks like. And stop trying to undermine the faith in elections of your own voters. Sometimes undermine the faith of those voters in elections that you won. Joe Biden won in 2020. And he's trying to say that if we don't pass this bill, it's the end of our democracy. You won. Under the rules that you're trying to change, you won. I don't even know. <laughs> I. It's, it's very, very frustrating. It makes no sense. It's completely counterproductive. They know that nothing's going to come from it. Nothing's going to come from this bill that Democrats are going to try to pass. Nothing's going to come from the election audits and the stolen election you know, stuff and, and all of that. Like Nothing's going to come of it at this point on the Republican side. Except a bunch of people are going to have to... I'm not running for office, so I can say this. A bunch of people are going to have to pretend that they think this is credible so that Donald Trump won't endorse their political opponents in 2022. And a bunch of Democrats are going to have to pretend that this pie-in-the-sky pipe dream bill they're trying to pass isn't both ridiculous and not going anywhere so that they can play into the vanity of either Joe Biden or the progressives that are trying to get their pound of flesh from Joe Biden. I'm not exactly sure. But it's ridiculous. Okay? And we need people who are going to actually just stand up and say things that are basic, that are common sense, that are true, which is this. If our election system was so rigged, then why did we have Donald Trump win in 2016 and Joe Biden win in 2020? Why have we had a regular alternation of Republicans and Democrats since 2000? Which, by the way, Democrats claimed that election was stolen and Terry McAuliffe still claims that election is stolen to this day when he was asked about it running for governor in 2021. I don't want to hear about it. I don't want to hear about how bad the other side is on elections and how it's so terrible that they're claiming the election is stolen when you won't acknowledge an election that happened 20 years ago, you lost. Okay? And this is not whataboutism. We're not a pro-whataboutism podcast. 
we are pro both sidesism podcast. So this is not what aboutism. This is both sidesism. This is I don't want to hear your complaints about the other side until you fix the crazy on your side. I really don't have time for it. You can't change what the wacky people on the other side are saying, but you can absolutely change what the wacky people on your own side are saying. And they're saying wacky things that are basically the same as the wacky things the other side is saying, albeit you have changed the color of the jersey that you wear when you say the wacky things. It's it's ridiculous. It's nonsense. And it's time for us all to move on from this nonsense. Pursue some minor, and this is straight out of Yuval Levin, who's a very smart man, and you know, has written recently about how both sides are basically wrong about their narratives about elections. And he is he is correct. And it's pretty obvious, like even even if you just look at the recent electoral history, it's it's obviously he's correct, but he goes into much, much more detail and he's smarter on this stuff than I am. But his argument is, look, we need to do something and we need to do something because there's so much broken public trust. And what we need to do is, no matter how small it is, do something that is genuine bipartisan reform and bipartisan compromise. That could be fixing the Electoral Count Act, which Democrats are refusing to do, which, again... I don't want to hear you talk about January 6th if people are proposing something that would prevent that from ever happening again and you're not willing to sign it because you want more. Okay? Just basically, just basic, basic math here, Democrats. This is what I'm going to tell you. If you can't write a bill that Mitt Romney, who voted to impeach a president of his own party, is willing to support, go away, sit in your corner, Think about it, take your thumb out of your mouth, and then write a bill that guy is going to vote for. Because if that guy isn't going to vote for your bill, then you're wasting everyone's time. Go home. And, you know, there there are similar folks on the Republican side if the Republicans were going to try to pass something, which I, <laughs> at this point, I don't think they're going to. Mitch McConnell is... is is having far too much fun watching Democrats shoot themselves in the foot to actually try to put anything forward, except perhaps the Electoral Count Act thing. And, you know, I think he will get some Democrats who would come on and support. I, I, it'd be hard for me to see Manchin, Cinema, and some of the Democrats that are up in, in 2022 to actually not vote for that Electoral Count Act if it's, if it's proposed. But, like, seriously, again, Democrats, you've got seven, I think, senators that voted to impeach Trump, you need to get one of them to sign on to your bill. It's not hard. This isn't rocket science. All you have to do is take everything you've ever wanted out of the Christmas turkey, put a few things that you want that are not as controversial, maybe, back in, and then put that bill forward and see if you can get some Republicans to sign on and then pass it. I don't understand why this is complicated. It's not. Just do it if that's what you want to do. Or don't, but then stop talking about how this is an existential threat to democracy. Because if there's an existential threat to democracy, and if we don't do something right now, it's going to be autocracy tomorrow, and you're not willing to compromise with Mitt freaking Romney, I don't believe you. I don't believe you. It is a threat. It is an existential threat to democracy. But we can't. We can't give Mitt Romney what he wants. We can't take out the things that he finds objectionable. That guy. 
the guy that we're just praising five minutes ago because he voted to impeach Trump, can't compromise with that guy. He's terrible. Even though it's an existential threat. I'm going to quote the great political philosopher. Actually, I can't remember which character it was, but the great political philosophy of the Princess Bride. This word, I don't think it means what you think it means. An existential threat, a threat to democracy, means that if you don't do something about it, democracy is gone. You're not willing to compromise with some moderate Republicans to save democracy. I don't believe you. You don't mean by the same thing by existential that like the rest of us mean. What you are trying to do is use fear-mongering to gain a temporary political advantage so that you can blow up the filibuster. By the way, blowing up the filibuster would be the dumbest thing that Democrats could possibly do because Republicans are probably going to take back the Senate. 2022 looks like it's going to be a terrible year. And things are not looking super hot for Democrats in 2024. So you blow up the filibuster today in 2022 – And you're going to give Republicans a trifecta where they will literally be able to pass whatever they want, whatever they want in 2025. That's, that's a very real possibility. I I think, I think all of this ties together. And I know this podcast has been very salty and rambling, but like here's, here's, I think how we can tie all of this together. And it's very simple. It is inconceivable for the partisans of either side that they can freely and fairly lose an election. Nobody seems possible of conceiving of the fact that people could just vote for the other guy or gal, which is a weird thing to not be able to conceive of because it seems like an awful lot of people have done that in the recent past. So it shouldn't be like a huge imaginative leap, but it seems impossible for them to make said leap. As a result of which, we have short-sighted political decisions like trying to blow up the filibuster or other you know, ridiculous shenanigans and short-sighted claims about elections and election integrity. Literally, Republicans gave up two seats in the Senate because of this nonsense. Nothing that we're talking about that Democrats have done, none of the crazy stuff that Democrats have done that like actually requires the legislature. COVID, Build Back Better, probably the infrastructure deal, any any of that stuff. None of that happens if Trump and his surrogates don't poison the well about how the election was stolen and you can't trust the integrity of the election, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. We now know for a fact, a fact that in the runoffs in Georgia, turnout was down because Republican vote was suppressed. The only voter suppression of which Republicans are demonstrably, clearly, empirically verified to be guilty is the suppression of their own voters in the Georgia runoffs. That's it. That's the only successful voter suppression in which we know Republicans have engaged. They suppressed the heck out of their own vote and gave up the Senate because of this nonsense. So it's not just like the, it just the Democrats have this disease. It's just real, really more evident that the Democrats have it right now because they have a bare majority in the House and the Senate and the White House. So they are more able to exercise their pension for doing things that are dumb and make no sense. But everybody is is sort of guilty of it at this point because you cannot conceive of the fact that you might freely and fairly lose an election. Of course, of course you can freely and fairly lose an election. 
It happens all the time. It's called democracy. And that is what democracy looks like. So that's the, if there's a threat to, to democracy right now, if there's a threat to democracy right now, it is our willingness as a people to indulge the petulant childish fantasies of politicians that they're incapable of losing and that we all love them so much and that if they lose an election, it must be because the other guy cheated. It's nonsense. And, it's lo- and it should be long past the point at which we stopped indulging the nonsense and moved on. That's going to be a wrap for this episode. I'm not sure when this is going to air. I'm not sure that this is going to air. This this may be one that's that's salty enough that 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 wiser heads, namely uh, producer Emily, tells me that we're not going to air it. But I don't know. It might it might it might come out. Every now and then, things are just so ridiculous that they have to be called out, and uh, we'll try to be more even keeled about things in the future. Maybe we'll talk about something that's less ridiculous, like foreign policy but yeah this is this is bad and everybody needs to knock it off uh that's going to be a wrap for this episode please remember to rate and subscribe on all the stuff all the places that we mentioned uh or that i mentioned at the outset of this podcast and for blind politics this is dr nolte signing off (laughs) 